are listening to New Musings on New Music. This is a podcast where cellist Norm Adams and pianist Barbara Pritchard converse with guests from the world of contemporary art music. exploring some of the fascinating ideas found there, and we were trying to demystify all those wild and wonderful notes. Our guest today is the wonderful composer, Linda Catlin-Smith. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Where do we want to start, Norm? I think we should start by saying you should be a podcast host because you sound great. Man, well, you're way better than me. I spend all my time listening to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> we often open our, well, we've always opened our conversations with our guests uh, with the question is of how did you become the person that you are today, the artist that you are today? Uh, you know, what was your sort of lineage to, to bring you to the place that you are now, the Linda Catlin Smith that we, that we know and play and love? Well, that's such a a rich question, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. what is your lineage? And I, yeah. I actually do think about lineage quite a bit because I think about um, who my art parents are, you know, and that has to do with um, who I loved listening to or even painters that I love and the writers that I surrounded myself with. Um, but maybe even beyond that, I think part of the lineage for me is the fact that I grew up with a piano in the house. So having a piano, and and my mother was an amateur pianist, so uh, I always heard the piano, and I was always around the instrument. I mean, we had a baby grand so I could crawl under it when she was playing. And and of course, the piano is very accessible for children because it sounds good right away. You know, a child can't really deal with a violin. But a child can deal with a piano because it's beautiful, even if it's not even in tune. <laughs> it's very beautiful. So uh, I, I spent a lot of time at the piano, and, and we had a kind of, you know, every night sitting at the piano, singing songs kind of thing. So music was really present. And uh, I also, so I, I think that that's a big part of my, my development of an attachment to sound. And it was kind of like a comfort zone, like no matter how I was feeling, I could go and play the piano and be absorbed and, and feel good. And, and also the pieces that I liked to play, you know, of course, Bach and all kinds of other pieces that um, I got exposed to. Chopin was a, a big one for me. Was it only classical music, would you say? I, yeah, I, I didn't get exposed to contemporary music till high school. Um, and, and in high school, well, that's not entirely true. The other part of my lineage is actually the record collection that my parents had. So my mother did, um, she went back to school after she had her kids and finished her degree, but she actually uh, took some composition lessons uh, with Otto Luning in New York. And so she had some Stravinsky and Bartok and Mio and Hindemith. So I had some 20th century, and I loved those records. I listened to them all the time. And my dad's records were jazz records, so Big Spiderbeck and uh, all kinds of Art Tatum and just Billie Holiday. I just had so many. And I was allowed to um, hear one side of a record every night as I went to sleep. I had a little record player in my room. 
And so I had this, you know, ritual of listening as in the dark, which I think was also very um, kind of formulating for me. And then in high school, I met uh, the composer Alan Shawn. He became the music teacher in our little tiny, I went to an alternative high school called Elizabeth Seeker School in Manhattan, 25 students. And um, Alan uh, joined us there. He was then a young composer. And he was just awesome as a teacher for me. I mean, I, I think I was the only one interested in composing, and I just basically had Alan to myself for that. And he lent me records and scores and just listened to my little stupid little tiny pieces I was making and took them <laughs> seriously, you know. And I think, I think that's um, in a way where I also first learned how to be a teacher is that his sensitivity and, and graciousness around a young person's work really taught me that everybody comes to it their own way. And, he, he dealt with it with respect, which is what I try to do as a teacher. So those were maybe, that's the long-winded, partial answer to that question. <laughs> Something we've been struggling with, or I don't know if struggle is the right word, but one of the things we're trying to look at in this podcast is what exactly is new music? And what does that term mean to you when, when somebody says, oh, do you like new music? What do those words mean? Yeah, that's interesting because it means different things to different people. You know, in, in, the, in the popular music field, there's new music as well. So the term is very broad. Of course, for me, I think of it as the music of our own time. But there are things that are new to me that are not from this time. You know, I'm still discovering. So, so what's new for me is the unfamiliar. And it could be from any culture, and it could be from any era but it's new for me, new for myself. And I, th I like to use the, the idea of, uh, of wilderness there, because every time you're, uh, this, is, this is speaking as a listener, anytime I'm uh, dealing with something that's absolutely new, it's like walking into new territory, and it's a place to explore, maybe with some sense of I don't get it, but to approach it with um, curiosity. And I'm, I'm really one of those people that has always liked to be confronted with things I don't understand. Whereas a lot of times people talk about that fight or flight reflex that, oh, it's, I don't get it, I, I let me out of here. When I hear something that I've never heard before, I, I get very alert. I'm like, what is this? I, I want to know what this is. And that's been with me from a long time. I mean, I just, I still remember the feeling of the first time I heard the music of somebody like Elliot Carter, and I just thought, this doesn't make any sense to me. I just, it's like I should understand it, but I don't. Um, so I feel what's new is the, is the unknown and the unfamiliar, and that, and that we can embrace that actually. And, and of course, we do, as performers and composers, we do. But I think there's music that we love to listen to because it's familiar. So we, there, there's the two, two ways to listen. One is you go back to the thing you love over and over again because, first of all, you can never know it completely. There's always something new there. But it's a place you like to be. 
it's a thing you love and you want to be there and it makes you feel better. And then there's the, I don't know what this is, let me see, let me go to a new music concert, let me hear something I've never heard before, let me be part of the first audience for that and hear the performer's first performance of that. I mean, you know, that's all pretty interesting. And so then you're in a different state because you're not expecting what's familiar. You, you know, when we know something, we're kind of expecting to hear. We, we have this expectation of what it's going to sound like. But when it's new, we might have an expectation, but it may not get fulfilled. So we kind of have to shift our, our attitude to being, what's going to happen? I wonder what's going to happen. And so then you're in wonderment and speculation as opposed to, oh, I can't wait to hear that moment. I know it's coming. <laughs> I love it when it does that. You know, and we all love that feeling. I love yeah. that feeling. <laughs> I think that, I mean, we all, I mean, that, that comfort or familiarity is the, is the more common of the two approaches, for sure. How would you encourage someone to, to be adventurous, adventurous? Do you feel like you could, you could do that? To, you know, how do we encourage, this is something Barbara and I talk about all the time, is, is how do we encourage people to, to listen to this stuff, to take a chance, to have the adventure that, that we know is, is waiting for us there? Well, if there, there's, two, two, there's a couple of steps to that. So if they're at your concert, they've already made a big leap yeah. because they've decided to come. So if they're there, then I always think it's really nice to have a few words and you probably do that already, to the audience. And what I like to say to them is, I'd be very interested in what you think. So, so that they know that they are welcome to, A, have their own thoughts about it, and that their own thoughts are right thoughts, and that I want to hear them. Because when an audience member comes up and talks to me about their experience, I always learn something. Mm. Uh, and it, it doesn't even have to always be positive, but I learn something from their experience. So I, I always like to encourage um, that kind of dialogue, mm -hmm. and, that, and I express a kind of openness to their experience. And then if they haven't come yet, then I think it's a task of helping people feel that they are wanted and welcome for who they are, mm -hmm. and that they don't have to know anything. They don't have to dress a certain way. You know, it's not an exclusive club. It's um, an adventure. And the adventure is, has a time limit. You're not going to be there for hours and hours and hours. You know, you can tell them how long it is and that there's... So when you're trying to reach new people, I think sometimes they're, they're like, well, why should I go to that? Or it's going to be uncomfortable or I don't know what to expect, you know. And uh, quite often... I know this because um, so many audience members, you've probably had this too, will say, oh, I don't know anything about music, but I thought this. You know, so they're, they're wanting me to understand they don't have knowledge. <laughs> but, you know, music is an experience. Uh, you know, how much knowledge do we need to have for observing a sunset? You know, no, we can go and experience that. And have our own experience of it, and it's right and valuable. So I think that's, that I think people need to feel they belong and are invited, and that they have something to offer. Nice. When I think of your music, I think of, the, of a still 
kind of landscape. What draws you to that character? Am I explaining that right? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, I, I don't really start off with any particular intention of that, but I know that I find I'm interested in the, the detail of things. So I don't need a lot, and yet there's a lot there. So I, get, I can get easily overwhelmed. So I, I like more um, subtlety and simplicity if those mm -hmm. can go together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think you hit it right when you talk about mood, that I think um, I am drawn to certain kinds of qualities in music, often starting from, say, harmony or a certain type of sound that isn't about um, a kind of epic, dramatic way of being but is more reflective and interior and that that somehow puts me in a in a an attitude of thought where i'm not even thinking not that kind of thinking but like a a, a present way of being where i can experience the thing for what it is so i don't like to overwhelm with a lot of activity and i'm not um, i'm not really interested in drama for me, drama is about a lot of contrasts. Mm. I'm interested more in a in a kind of interior drama, which is more the subtleties of the emotions that we don't have words for. The kind of way of just of being in a state. It's like a state of being rather than a story. Mm. And so um, I, I think I like slower music because, so the music is slower and it's maybe a bit more spare but I think it gives room for us to hear everything. I like to hear everything. Um, and I like to be, feel that I'm inside the experience of the sound rather than I'm sitting outside and watching this roller coaster going by where I can barely hold on. So I tend to have, I've always loved the slow movements of the repertoire, especially mm -hmm. symphonic repertoire. And I think another um, thing I often talk about with that is that in slower music, you can have slightly more complex harmony because complex harmony takes time for the ear to hear. I like that slowing things down and just being able to hear it all. How did you discover that? You know, how did you discover, how did you uh, arrive at that, at that beautiful place? Do you feel like it was always there or did you feel like you had to work through a bunch of different kinds of music before you arrived? Right, so as a composer, you know, you start out by just trying to make things, right? So of course I started yeah. out with piano pieces. And my brother, who was four years younger than me, was a cellist, so mm -hmm. I started out making little piano cello fragments. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I made endless piano pieces, and I just played them, and I didn't even write half of them down. I just made things that I liked to play. and. So that was my first way, and I didn't even really know I was composing as such. I didn't think about it. I was just always doing it. I, anytime I was practicing, I would remake what I was practicing into a way that I would like it. <laughs> so mm. so nice. obnoxious and nice. arrogant. No. Oh, this would be better like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beethoven should have done it this way. <laughs> yeah, well, this chord should be repeated more times. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
it comes from playing, but uh, then I think also the listening, you know, uh, just those finding those things, those movements that you want to hear over and over again. So t picking the needle up on the record and going back and listening to something. When I like something, I listen to it over and over and over. Okay. Uh, and then um, just having permission by hearing other things that were slow to, to let myself do that and not feel I had to... You know, when I started uh, in high school really thinking seriously about composing, the music around me was very dense and complex, and I couldn't relate to it much, and it was very hard for me to make myself write music like that, because it didn't feel authentic. And so at a certain point, I had to just see what I could do <laughs> that, that, that made me happy and made me interested. And was, was that difficult? Um, you know, when, when, I, when I first started playing uh, contemporary music, a lot of it was very angular, very uh, fast, aggressive, discordant, um, which I enjoyed doing. There was, a, there was a certain excitement there, but um, I, didn't, I didn't get to know the music of, say, Morton Feldman or yours either until much later, and it occurs to me it must, must have been difficult to continue your own path when all that other stuff was such a, a force in the culture of the new music community. Yeah, it, it, it was a little bit difficult because, um, you know, I came up at a time where, where all the teachers were male, and um, that's not so much the problem. I mean, Alan Sean was amazing as a teacher, but I had some other teachers and, and in workshops and things that basically would say, oh, you have to change your style, you know, or why don't you write a fast piece? You know, I, I was asked for that many times. And so I, I started to, um, and, and in university, when I, I had some good teachers there, before I got to study with Rudolf Komros, who was amazing and very, very um, deep, and uh, really heard, heard something in me. Before I got to him, I had some other teachers, and I, I, was, I was really struggling with, with language, with that kind of stylistic um, stuff. And I, what I think was healthy about that struggle, and it really was a struggle, was that I learned to kind of dig my heels in and be stubborn and say, nope. I want to do this, and it's okay if they don't like it. And I've kept that, uh, and it's okay if they don't like it, I've, I've kept that as I've moved on because, you know, I was rejected from the Canadian Music Centre three times because back then it was just a few composers sitting around deciding on the basis of style. So they've changed the rules now, so it's not decided on that basis, but, you know, it's hard to be rejected. <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, so I just, I kept learning that lesson over and over again. Okay, it's okay if they don't like it. And what I really learned is like to turn my back to all of that when I'm working and just be committed to the work. And I was lucky to find some people that I felt in common with and that seemed to like what I do. And all I needed was a couple. And, and then I felt fine and I felt um, more confident because I had some people saying they liked it. 
because it's very hard if nobody likes it, then, then you're really struggling. It's like hitting your head, your head against a brick wall. But if, if a few people do and, and, um, and then people start asking for work, then you, you start to feel, okay, I'm, I'm okay to stick with what I'm doing. I'm just going to, to be a little bit artistically selfish. You know, because if you try to please everybody, then, then you get nowhere, really. You have to feel strongly about what you want to do. And, and I think that goes for performers as well. Like, you just have to, you know, find what speaks to you and then 100% you go with it, as you guys know. It's taken, it, it's taken me my entire life till now to, <laughs> to discover that, of course. And so it's interesting that you could discover that, that kind of, the ability to be true to yourself earlier. Maybe that's your one of your special gifts is that you could... I, I just think it's of, my... I think I'm very uh, stubborn inside. I'm a Taurus. Mm. I'm a bull. Mm. <laughs> I'm a bull-headed person. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, I'm not versatile. Like, I couldn't actually do it. I couldn't make what people wanted. Yeah, we think of composers and we think of contrasting works. You know, please submit three contrasting works, which just seems like it's a very important thing to be able to to be able to... You know, compose fast, compose slow, play fast, play slow. Uh, but maybe it's actually not that important. It's not important to me. Yeah. You know, I, I always refer to the painter Giorgio Morandi, who painted still life paintings. They're really beautiful. And uh, he painted the same collection of bottles and vases that were in his studio over and over again. And each one is more exquisite than the last. And he, he just didn't really worry about venturing outside he was still as long as you're still fascinated with something why not keep seeing what what it can do you know that's that's like endlessly interesting right if if you love something and you're still in love with it if if you're repeating yourself just because it's easy <laughs> then it's no good yeah. <laughs> like i i try not to do that too often mm. i really try to ask myself i did that before should i you know maybe reinvestigate that or no i i'm still curious about it i need mm. to see what else i can do with that thing that brings me to wonder about your process as a composer when you sit down with a commission or a, 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 some kind of impetus to write to, to create a piece and and cement it to the written page. Do you have a, would you say you have a, a routine? Yeah. Um, well, I still work at the piano for most pieces. And I don't work on the computer until the end when I have to score because I'm, I just don't like it. I, I mean, I, I came to the computer much later than, you know, I was already attached to pencil and paper, which I still love. And I'm, I've given this quite a lot of thought. Um, because I had to, I've had to talk about it a few times, and uh, I tend to work not starting with too much. So, you know, usually what we're given is is um, instrumentation and duration. And so the instrumentation is the is the first thing I just mull that over. Quite often, very soon, I have an image like what I call a sound image, some little tiny thing that I really want to get at and it could be really like just a, a, a feeling of like 
I want this feeling of like a brush stroke or you know, something as subtle as that. And so then I go to work at the piano and I, I see if I can f get close to that sound image that I had. And I get some material and I write it down and then I have that. And now I have that material in front of me and it's like, is this something? And I really take a long time in that process of wondering what this might be. Is this on the track that I want? Um, part of the process is I might listen to a lot of things for that instrumentation, especially if it's an instrumentation I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, one of the pieces I'm working on right now is for a, uh, a just-intonation-tuned just piano. Well, that's I never thought I would work with a different tuning system. So now I have a, in, in my studio here, I have a, an electronic keyboard with the tuning on it so I can actually hear it. Because I can't work with it intellectually, I need to hear this change of harmony. So I'm, I'm in that mode of exploration. And, and then I, in a sense, I'm in this speculative, what I call the speculative attitude of wondering what it can do. So my process is often, once I have a little bit of material, is what is this? What can it do? How long should it continue? What might, when does it need to change? You know, these are, basically it's working intuitively, though, you know, it's, it's not a word that we got, we used a lot because kind of a bad word, but I think <laughs> it's a good word. Me too. And, um, and, and so what's hard about it is there's, there's a need for a lot of reflection and sitting back and questioning yourself and judging. And so in the, in the initial doing, I'm not judging. I'm just finding and working and playing with the material. And then there's a reflective period where I'm, you know, trying to think, is this, is this doable? Is this okay? And what does it need? Um, and that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of back and forth in the mind. Do you sometimes reject that initial idea? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Because sometimes you have to write your way to the next thing that's new for you. Hmm. So you're, you're writing and writing and writing, and then all of a sudden you hit on something that, oh, wait a minute, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's something, but it's not familiar to me. Let me see what I can do. Because then you get very excited because you're... I always love it when I get to a new place. I mean, yes, my works maybe sound like they're all the same, but there's things that are new for me that I never did before that I, I discover. And so I'm extremely happy, and I'm always looking for that moment. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot that goes on, on the floor that I don't use. I'm, I'm not attached to things if they don't work. And I have um, kind of honing, been honing a sense of when something doesn't feel quite right. And when I have that subtle sense, it's almost like I don't feel well. And if I don't address it and get that thing out of the piece, I'm going to be really unhappy. So I have to really be upfront with myself when I have those feelings of like, wow. uh-oh. And it's but it's such a sinking feeling. It's like, oh dear, something. I got to go in here and maybe Something's I have to. Something's got to go. I might have to let go of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but you always feel better after. <laughs> and there's always more because I always feel with creativity, the well is never dry. You know, there's always more to get. And are you writing the, like sort of, you're playing, I'm just trying to picture you at the keyboard and you, are you playing things and then we're kind of writing them down so you remember them or are you remembering them in your head? Mostly I've learned that it's better to write it down because I will forget. Yeah. So I, I have uh, a very good shorthand and a lot of arrows pointing here and there and, you know, and nobody could ever make sense of my, my penciled notes. But, and I stay in that state for a long time. Well, I have a couple of pages of material that I'm messing about with that I don't commit yet. I just fool around for, for ages until I start to feel, I often say it's sort of like, like a, developing a photograph. You know, something starts to come in, and then it deepens and deepens, and then you know what it is in the end. Do you keep those? Are they notebooks? Are they sketchbooks that you keep, no. or are you checking out? Loose, the... They're um, they're on loose, wide sheets, and uh, I put lots of words to help me keep track of. Oh, this goes there, and that goes there, and. And then I, I like to just have it in front of me. Um, and I like to be at the piano because I feel, even if I can't play at all, um, first of all, it helps me make sure I'm getting the register right for the sounds I'm making. But also, it keeps me in the sense of real time. This is yep. how it feels to play something. This is how much time it needs. Because imaginary time is very different. Um, when I've worked away from the piano and I realize, oh, things get too crowded and on top of each other, and I have to pull them apart. So the piano keeps me a little bit, a little bit honest, I think, about time. Do you have a, a favorite instrumentation? I know you like exploring new things, but is, is there one instrumentation you love coming back to? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I guess I have to say, um, aside from piano, which I, I love writing for the piano, even though I, most people say you should, they hate writing for their own instrument, but I do like writing for the piano. But I also really love writing for strings. So string, string orchestra and string quartet are, are probably, like if nobody asks me for anything, I will always go back and write another one of those. <laughs> you know, just because it's, it's something I always want to hear more of. And I don't feel finished with that yet. I've written six string quartets and four string orchestra pieces, and I probably could do more. You've been listening to New Musings on New Music. This was only the first portion of our talk with Linda Catlin-Smith, and we hope you'll watch out for part two, where Linda, Barbara, and I dig into thoughts and techniques for listening to music. Thanks for joining us.